Hey, Brian, thanks for showing up. Hey, um, for our dinner party episode, I thought I might make us some also buco. Does that sound good? Sure, it sounds good. Perfect. It just needs to braise for about three hours, and so we can just do the podcast for those three hours while we're waiting. A three-hour podcast? That's more than double our longest episode. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm getting a call right now. What? I guess my, my house is flooded. I have to go. Oh, I have no. to go check it out. Well... You can always get a new house. You can't always record a new podcast episode with me. You said you didn't have plans. That's true. Hey everyone, welcome back to TV Guys, and this week we're talking about the Office episode Dinner Party, an episode that's more cringe than Brian trying to rap. I'm Matt. (laughs) I'm Brian, and when did I ever try to rap? You try all the time. I have uh, cameras in your house. I'm sorry. Huh, cool. <laughs> You're surprisingly okay with that. You just got to double down on the crazy. Sometimes. You know, when it's us two, that's exactly how it goes. So wait, so you you only have cameras in my house? Yes. Okay, so I got you beat then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you win. Yeah, well exactly. done. Well, how crazy the crazy. Well, good news, everyone. We're in the same location today. Isn't that great? It's great for us. It doesn't really matter much to them. I was waiting for them to respond, and no, there's no one to do that. Nope. That's uh, not how podcasts work. <laughs> so we're sharing a mic, and it's just kind of funny to me because like, we're sitting across from each other at a table, but we're also kind of leaning in. So it's almost like we're being like really intimidating to the other person because <laughs> there's also this lamp that's like right above our heads, and right now it's shining down right on Brian's head, so he's like really illuminated. So it feels very like face-off, standoffish, but I'm like, this is – we're just – relaxing i don't get it are we <laughs> so that's where this episode's gonna be uh, i'm really excited for this this is our second version of uh the the podcast rewatch where what we'll do is we'll, we'll watch an episode of tv and then we'll talk about that episode in depth so we're doing an in-depth dive into one of the best if not the best i know it's your favorite uh office episode dinner party um, it's not my favorite actually i don't know what my favorite would be i think this is the most iconic okay and it's like if you were gonna do an office episode like the office episode i think this there are a number of episodes that would be in the list i think yeah. this would be like the top of one of those lists is what it, what it is. Yeah, I think in that like top five for iconic, you've got of course Michael's farewell. This episode probably goodbye Toby, mm-hmm. and, um, and one I love is Benny Hanna Christmas, but I don't that know if that's is. iconic I as much as these. So I, I have a homerism for it, so that's why <laughs> I wanted to include it. But we're talking about dinner party, and so I we've both rewatched this episode to, even today. And then um, I listened to the Office Ladies episode, like where they rewatch this, and they went into depth on that. And so I've got a lot of information. So I'm not going to cite them. I'm not going to be like Office Ladies say this Office because if you want to listen to the Office Ladies podcast and get all that information, you can go listen to the Office Ladies podcast. I, I won't be mad. It's all right. You're not cheating on us. And you can listen to both of them. You can exactly. To us and them. Why not? So uh, I will reference some things from there though because they had some really good information, some great background. Stuff. There's some things I knew, and there's some things that it's like, oh, wow. So I'm really excited to talk about that and just to talk about this great, great episode. Yeah. And the thing about The Office Ladies is, is 
like I said, they say in their intro, they give you behind-the-scenes tips that no one else can give because they were there. Yeah. Especially in this episode, it's a lot of Pam and Angela in the same scenes, which they don't get a lot of throughout the series. Yeah. And I, one per point of view that I really love, that I, I probably won't take a lot of time to talk about it, but uh, Angela Kingsbury is uh, pregnant. Kings, Kingsley. Kingsley. What did I, Kingsbury? Yeah, he said I, Kingsbury. I think I know a Kingsbury, like, last name. So that's where my... So Kingsley. I know people. Shut up. So uh, <laughs> Angela Kingsley is pregnant during this uh, filming of this show. And so she talked a lot about, like, some of her personal stuff that was going on that I thought, thought was really interesting from that perspective as mm -hmm. well. Uh, so, I'll, you know, we'll mention some of that. And if you rewatch this episode, you'll be able to play the game Spot the Hiding of the Pregnancy Bump. Well, like, you know, awkwardly filming from over the banister. Yeah. Which, okay, just right now, I thought of a big weird flaw in this episode, but it's, it's one of the few. I know they're doing the documentary stuff. It makes sense that they're mm -hmm. at the office, but Michael and Jan invited the documentary clue and clue crew into their house. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll we'll get to it because I, I have one other thing about a few talking heads in the house. Anyway, mm -hmm. so real quick before we even get into it too. Uh, so this episode, you've I think we've said before that it was written during the writer's strike, yeah. um, and that's not quite true, but it's really close to that. So they will have like one week to write each episode uh, except for like the season openers and things like that but they had like this mid-summer break where the writers actually had three weeks to write this episode yeah and so they had like they didn't get paid for all three of those weeks because they had the, they got paid like it was like a normal week but they just loved the concept so much that they kept coming back to this mm -hmm. during their break and they kept adding to it so it really was like they took that full three weeks yeah. to write this and then when they were getting they had the table read and then the writer's strike happened and so all of the cast and crew went on strike or like they yeah. stopped filming in solidarity with the writers so that's where that ties in and this was one of the first because I think it was dis, uh, deposition and then this one were the first ones yes. that were filmed right after the writer's strike ended and I forget if I heard this from the Office Ladies podcast because I listened to that episode when it came out but that was a couple that was like a couple years ago now mm -hmm. Wasn't it they, they were saying that it was Steve Carell who decided not to cross the picket line because he had the kind of clout that he could do that, whereas like lesser actors could have been like, oh, you're, you're just fired. Yeah. He knew that he had some weight to throw around, and he went in support of the writers because of that. Was that in that episode? They didn't talk about that at all, um, but that doesn't surprise me. I think they've talked about it in other, in other episodes that Steve Carell, like, and, all, and all, for all what I've heard about it, he's like a really good guy in real life, mm -hmm. and he did whatever he could to use his clout not to be like, I'm better than you. I was just listening to a podcast, and someone said that Donald Sutherland has a no eye contact policy. Like, no one can make eye contact with him when he's on the set. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. On the other end, you have, you have Steve Carell, who will, like, use his power for good. <laughs> Steve Carell has an only eye contact <laughs> policy. You have to look me in the eye. Really close. Smell my breath. <laughs> Yep. This, this will be a long one. We haven't even started talking about the episode. We yet. haven't. Uh, this episode is also directed by Paul Feig from... Uh, Feig. Feig. From the director... <laughs> I'm just going to get last names wrong this episode. That's just... That's where we're at. So uh, he directed Bridesmaids as well as a number of other um, hit comedies, but that's one of his biggest. And several episodes of The Office, too. Yep. Uh, he actually directed Survivor Man a couple <laughs> before this, and um, then like he was proud of that episode, and then he read the script of this episode and was like, 
crud, I really would love. And he got jealous because he really wanted to direct this episode. Mm -hmm. And so they had this other director in the can, but then when the writer's strike happened and everything got pushed back, then that didn't work for this other director. And they didn't say who that director was. But it didn't work for this other director, and instead it did end up working for Paul. So he was able to actually direct this episode that he really wanted to. That's awesome. He's, he's one of the few that, from what I hear, really got the office. And he's yeah. one of the, the good people who can bring that essence. <clears throat> yep. So starting off the episode, we uh, start off in the office. And we have uh, very we have the full cast in the office. But we see only two characters that aren't at the dinner party speak. Yes. As, as you pointed out as we were watching that we had An- – uh, not Angela. We had Phyllis and Stanley – have yep. one line each. Yep. And, and you can see Oscar, Kevin, Toby, and Kelly. They don't speak. And then, like I said, the rest of that cast is just gone. Yep. So, like, at the table read, do they just come in? They say, they say like, two things, and then like, they just kind of sit back and take a nap for the rest of the episode? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's also their first experience, uh, exposure to the episode, too. So they're following along to see, like, yeah. oh, when's my next line? Oh, I don't have any. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they probably read it beforehand, knowing they don't have I would guess. I don't think so. I think table reads are just for that, is for all of them experiencing the episode together for the first time. Huh. Okay. And you'll see that with movies, too, and those sorts of things. Um, so that they were just along for the ride. And uh, so at, at the table read, apparently, like, it was... No one was, like, able to laugh early on. It was just, like, kind of this building as they're like, oh, this is going to be kind of awkward. But, like, everyone had this appreciation. And then by the top time the cops arrive, then everyone busts out laughing. Yeah. Because they've just been holding it in that whole time. Well, a lot of these things that are there on the page, they might not have been so funny, but it's the delivery and the visual. Oh, absolutely. Like, I was wondering about this. It was, like, SNL skits. Some of these, some of those skits are hilarious because of strictly the visual aspect and the performance. Like, I'm wondering how they got there because, like, the paper on the script would not be funny at all. Yeah. They just have to trust, like, trust me, you know, Bill Hader or whoever, they, they'll make this funny. Yeah. And they, like, I think all the cast knew it was going to be funny, but because it focused, a, they, they, a lot of them described it as dark a couple different times. Like, you know, they had Rain Wilson on the episode and he mm-hmm. said it was like a, kind of a dark script and et cetera. And it's like, you don't <laughs> think of this episode as being dark. You think of it as being cringe. But I mean, if you strip it away and strip away the comedy elements, you do have a story of two fragile people yeah. that are putting others through a very uncomfortable time and that their relationship is falling apart and they're being verbally abusive to each other. So I get when you're saying that. We have one of our guests, Andrew Elmquist, he hates this episode yeah. for that reason. And so um, I get that, but I, I never thought of this episode as being dark. No, I mean, we look at it. We look at the from the lens of Michael and Jan's relationship is being imploded right now. Yeah, like it starts out like I don't know if they're faking it, but like, oh, she's my best trophy next to my Dundies or whatever. You know, yep. like, oh, hey babe, hey babe. And by the end, they're, like, screaming at each other and, you know, the dundies are flying. This episode is a great, great uh, way to showcase building – I don't know if suspense is the right word. but tension. Yeah, because it's kind of like a pressure cooker. This whole episode is. And so there is going to be those points where it comes to a head, but you're just waiting. And it's just getting more and more uncomfortable, but that's part of the humor, like – the, there's a lot of tension relieving in that humor, but that tension is for sure there. And oh, yeah. you feel that when you're watching this episode. But when they're starting off in the office here, then they all have this overtime assignment that um, really is, we know, 
it's not really from corporate. Because first thing that Michael does after he confirms that Jim does not have any plans for that night because yeah. he's sticking around to do this overtime assignment, he goes in the office and he has the phone call with corporate, quote unquote, and he starts yelling at him. He's like, this isn't fair to these people. These people are my friends. We're not going to work for you. And halfway through that phone call, you see that look of Jim and he just looks at the camera. As soon as he says, We're, these are my friends, he just... Shakes his head. No, he knows what's happening. <laughs> he, he gets I mean, it. We have to suspend disbelief a little bit because this would not. Michael would not be able to get away with this. You don't think Toby would know that this is not an actual corporate assignment, or like I feel like Toby would would see through it. Oscar would see through it. Yeah. So this must be like the greatest con Michael has ever pulled to get them to stay behind. But then also the genius idea that follows that mm-hmm. when he cancels it and comes up to Jim, it's like, so what are you what are you doing tonight? Then he's like, oh, you know, I didn't have plans. He says, well, why don't you come to my house for dinner? Well, you didn't have plans. He cuts him off before he comes up with any excuse. Yeah. And Jim has that just like realization on his face. Followed by the talking head, he which, got me. Which shows like the state that, that Michael's at because it's like he did this whole thing because I think he knows that Jim and Pam don't want to have dinner with them, but he's yeah. still tricking them. It's like I don't care if they don't want to come; I still want to hang out with them because I don't know if he thinks that he's just gonna be so charming that they're gonna love it, or if he just doesn't care and he wants to have dinner with them. Well, this is what cool people do. This is what adults do. This is like when you've arrived. As a 35-year-old myself with four <laughs> kids who just got a puppy, <laughs> which is a, like, this is what old people do. This, this My parents bought ki- uh, dogs. I didn't buy a dog. This isn't me. Yeah. And like, there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome as you're training into an adult. And yeah. so even at the age of 35, I'm like, this is an adult thing that I'm doing right now. Yeah. I can book myself a flight. I can pay for my insurance. I can, you know. So I think having yeah. people over and entertaining and showing off is the way that you feel like an actual adult with actual friends. You know, it's been nine years since we've legally had to pay for our own insurance, Matt. <laughs> I, I, I'll get around to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I'm saying 26 is the cutoff for being on your parents' insurance. So, like, after the uh, the credits roll and they get to the house, before they get there, I just want to highlight what I really love and what works about this episode is the dynamic of Melora and Steve together. Yes. And Steve Carell, he has this energy about him because he is so excited. Mm -hmm. Who knows how long he's been planning this, but he finally did it. He finally got Jim and Pam to his house. He finally gets to show off the things of his house. Mm -hmm. He gets to feel like they're actually real friends. And all the things that he's believed and said in these talking heads of family has now come to pass. And he gets Jan on board. Did Jan know about the whole con with with the, the overtime assignment? Like, how much was she in on that? Is she, like, just, like as crazy, let's say, as, as Michael because of this? I don't know if she would have thought of that with the con, but that's that's where I'm curious about. It's like, what's her motivation yeah. in this? Because his is very obvious. We know he mm-hmm. just wants friends. He's like this puppy and so excited yeah. that, hey, someone's here, someone's here, someone's here. But, well, you know, in the second and third seasons, we saw hints of Jan being crazy, especially like when she was like, you know, making out with Michael at the David Wallace's house. Yep. But she was always more so the straight man. She'd be the boss who'd come in and she's very like professional and put together. And it's like, this is kind of really the unraveling of Jan. Like this is what was behind that prim and proper boss all along. Like yep. 
diving into the depths of her psyche. Yeah. So so her dynamic of like him being so excited, she's got all these passive aggressive comments. She's got a lot of like you know, when they come in, one of the things that she says is like, oh, ignore these carpets. It's still in work. It's still yes. in process. And a lot of, like, justification of, like, oh, this isn't, you know, this is Michael's idea. That's why it looks this way. Yeah. Or this isn't quite where I want it to be yet. So yeah. that's where I'm like, what is her complete motivation? Did she even want to have this dinner party? Or now that she has a dinner party? Because Jan's motivation in general, you know, is all about her. Mm-hmm. So what is her idea? What do you think? I think that... For one, like I said, she is trying to to pull Michael into like the high society and like make yeah. it make it seem nice. She's being passive aggressive to Pam. I think she wants to to one up Pam because she somehow believes the Michael that that Michael and Pam used to date. I don't know why she believes that. And she's also very clearly flirting with Jim. So she's trying to impress Jim. She's trying to one up Pam, and she's trying to bring Michael up to high society. I don't think she gives two craps about Angela or Andy. Yeah. Yeah, like when they first show up, Jim and oh, – oh, real quick, before I get even to that. So just the dynamic between them. Like the, like I was saying, that's why it works is that – it's kind of like – I don't know if you ever watched um, on the Oscars when Anne Hathaway and James Franco hosted. And Anne Hathaway was like over the top, like let me sell every line that I have. And James Frank just to make up for James Franco kind of being there like, I'm a stoner. And uh, – I'm going to just read this joke like this. Yeah. Like she felt like she had to overcompensate. And so it was really awkward actually to yeah. watch the Oscars and that dynamic. And it's, it's a similar dynamic between them of like Michael, just like all these things that he wants to show off and say, and then Jan, like all of these jabs at yeah. either Michael or Pam or um, things about herself and Hunter. Yeah. And so that's where it really works. And props to Miller Harden because, like, Steve Carell had that crazy energy. Yeah. And he, I, I actually want to say, like, it's almost like Jim Carrey handed off the torch to him and Bruce Almighty during that scene yeah. where he's making Steve Carell like say all these weird things like, on the blah, 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 blah. exactly I was thinking about that today I'm like uh, Jim Carrey hasn't done too many pictures quite like peak Jim Carrey since Bruce Almighty yeah and Steve Carell has kind of taken over that like high energy hilarious mm-hmm. over the top stuff and he really is that manic energy in this episode for me oh he is for sure, I feel like in in Steve Carell's movies, he's sometimes more like subdued and straight. But with the, with the Office, you get to see his crazy energy. Yeah, unless he's being animated, like he's he'll, like, as Gru or something. Yeah, and yet Melora Hardin is a beautiful equal to him in this episode. Oh a, yeah, a foil really. But like the energy she has, mm-hmm. being very different, but is just as strong and just as dynamic, and that's what makes this episode so good. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So Jim and Pam first got get to the house. Yep, and then so what you'll notice is that like both Steve and or both Miller and Steve go to hug Jim, and then I shouldn't say <laughs> the character's name, and then Michael hugs Pam, and uh, Jan just ignores her, yeah. and just walks right past her, and so then like the awkwardness starts even right away that Pam is like, oh, I brought this wine for you, and then. Uh, Jan takes us like, oh, this cooking wine, that's great. Yeah. And Pam just has this look of like, okay, well, thank yeah. you for the dig, but I'm not going to say anything yeah. and push through it. Because they don't care. They just want to yep. leave. But it's still, it's like, it's, it's very clearly a dig, like, like you said. 
Yeah. And so then they're going to go on the tour. Um, and and it, it, that's what's what, again, the, that same writing of like, oh, look at the look at this dig that we did. But we're going to let it go because we're, you know, we're yeah. civilized people. But it's just slowly building. They start walking up. It's that, oh, the god awful carpet. And Michael's about to say something. No, he shakes it off. Yeah. And it's also logistically, wouldn't they wait for all of their guests to do the tour? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But they only care. They care about Jim and Pam. You know, they care more about them. But in-universe, why do they even invite Andy and Angela? I mean, for story-wise, it's good to have more people in in the mix. And Andy has some good moments. But why did Michael even invite Andy and Angela? Maybe it was a thing where, like... He was inviting Jim and Andy overheard, but yep. we, but we don't, we saw him invite Jim. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah, um, that that's something that I actually want to highlight with Dwight when he shows up because that seems a little out of character for Michael to like fight Jan about Dwight being there. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that in a yes. second. So they go up for the tour, and then they go into first of all Jan's office, yes. which a nice little production note is if you look at the office chair, like you. You know, uh, Michael makes the little snide comment because he's also doing a couple jabs too. He makes a yeah. side comment of like, oh, never been used. And Jan just kind of scoots past it. But you look at the office chair in there and it actually still has like the wrapping on its arms. Oh, like yeah. it never, <laughs> they never even have gotten that completely unpacked. It kind of shows Jan going back to like, like the, the money issues is that Jan thinks she needs the high end of everything even if she's not going to use it. Yeah, exactly. And how selfish she is that it's just like, oh, I've got both a workspace and a creative space because they go into her candle room next. Yes. And uh, so they're in the candle room and, oh, man, you, you get that sense that there's like that smell like that. It's just terrible. Yeah, it was like the candle aisle is it, it, hard because like – one candle is good, but you have all those competing smells all at once. It's like you have to like take a candle, go out of the aisle, and then like then you can really get if do I like this candle or not? Yeah, exactly. And being in that candle room, like they also it really did smell for all the actors in there. Sure, yeah. But of course they play it up because you have to play it up since we can't smell it ourselves. We have to get from the reaction. And Jim has that nice little like almost gag look as he like holds his head outside of the room. Yeah. Um, but then we get a little bit more of that building tension because uh, then Michael is making – he's like, oh, sm-. Jan's like, smell this. He smells it. It's, it's fire, bonfire. Mm-hmm. And then Michael makes a bond, James Bond, James Bonfire. And he's doing like all that kind of joke yeah. and riffing. And Jan lets it go. But you can tell she's like, ah, oh, Michael's being that idiot that I know he is. Yeah. And then she says a comment about like, well, when I get irritated or frustrated, then I come in here. And it's like, there, there it is. It's like, it's still building. She's actually right now irritated and frustrated, but she's not going to address it right this moment. Cause they have company. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to try not to do it. They go into the bedroom next. Yeah. And okay. I'm with Michael on this. Those walls look white. <laughs> Yeah, and so so we see uh, Jan giving that like, oh, I I had to repaint this to this softer eggshell white, and very subtly moving the video camera. There like, you go. Oh, don't 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 mind this. And they both clock it exactly right away. As soon as they get in there, everyone everyone clocks it. Well, Michael had already admitted to Pam and the other women that she likes to videotape them having sex oh, so yeah. she can and like view it with her therapist. Yep. So Pam already I forgot that Pam already knew that. That's right. And like I don't. Jim and Pam weren't together at that point because that was season three. Yep. So unless she remembered, Pam may have not told Jim about that. Oh, (laughs) like I can see it going either way because that's the sort of thing you're like, dude, 
this is what they do. Yeah. But it's also the sort of thing, like, I don't want to think about that at all. And so she, and like, I don't want to make Jim have to think about it. <laughs> that is completely fair. Um, okay, one of my favorite parts. This, this episode is full of, like, oh, this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. One of my first hilarious parts of this episode is the little ottoman bench at yes. the end of the bed. And, like, this perfectly sized bench where it's it's big enough that it actually works for Michael laying down, and it, yet it's small enough that it, the joke lands. And yeah. so they just, like, linger on that as he lays there. And it's just, it's so funny. He can lay down, but only if he curls his legs up. He can't sprawl yeah. out. Do you have, like, some sort of bench at the end of your bed? Some sort of accessory. No, I don't. I just oh, I have a king bed, so my bed is just his own bench. Yeah, I I have one at the end of my bed, not by choice. I'm married, so I mean that's just. <laughs> and then actually, uh, our daughter has like a toy chest sort of thing at the end of her bed. Yeah, and it's like apparently this is a pretty common thing to have just something at the end of your bed, which it makes sense. Yeah, but no, <laughs> like to make someone sleep on that. Yeah, that is so terrible. That's the kind of thing where like it would make oh maybe the dog sleeps there or like you sit down to put your socks on in the morning. Yeah, something like that. Not I'm an, an adult man paying for this condo, and I sleep on. I'm not even on the bed. We did. Have, we definitely don't use ours as a semi shelf of sorts at times. We have never done that. Our room is so clean. I'm Always. sure it is. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of, of favorite parts, then goes to just oh, this is such a great scene. They continue the tour. And we see Mike Michael's plasma TV, quote Which, unquote. First of two dated references. First plasma. No one, no one talks about plasma TVs anymore. Yep. That was when it was like a, a flat screen plasma was really cool and new, and now it's just there are TVs. Yeah. And the second one is uh, the TiVo. Is TiVo even <laughs> a thing anymore? They do make a TiVo reference. <laughs> is TiVo even a thing anymore? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I mean, it was... I don't want to say it was a streaming service before streaming services were a thing, but it maybe, in a way, was a grandfather of a streaming service. Well, it wasn't streaming. It was just like it would... It was just a cable. It would record your yeah. shows, but it would like it would record it on its own. Like, I don't, I don't know if you've heard Pat Oswalt's bit about TiVo. Um, I haven't, but I knew someone who... I, I think the common joke is, like, if you, like, TiVo Will and Grace once, it will TiVo all these other, like homosexual programs for you and just automatically assume you're gay because yeah. I've heard that happen in real life and I've heard comedians talk about it yeah I mean I, I'm not going to do his bit because he also does it in imitation of a mentally challenged uh, TiVo <laughs> I'm not going to do that he does it but he, the whole joke was like you record a horse show with a horse on it and then like you record all the horse shows that ever exist on TV <laughs> fill up your DVR anything that's like vaguely connected to that it's yes. going to record yeah so I mean, I think I, I think I'll still take the grandfather of streaming because there's the connection between cable and streaming, but yeah. definitely streaming is a lot different than now. Um, so we talked. I talked about the Office Ladies podcast, but I also want to talk about because I've seen the bloopers and the yeah. bloopers of this scene. Oh, with the TV, were, yeah, with I've the TV, that. it's so funny because John Krasinski cannot keep a straight face in this, no. and he like went on record of talking about this scene is like I think we filmed like 19 to 20 takes before I could even make it through the scene without laughing. Yeah. And I'm like that makes sense based on these blooper reels, but he's like this is one of my favorite jokes plus the energy of the set when they walked in was like they were ready to do it. They were high energy and it was just 
everything was on the cusp of laughter yeah because this was just such a phenomenal script for them so it didn't take much to push him there because it's so ridiculous and over the top and michael sells it as, or steve carell sells it as such an earnest michael it's it's such a good joke too it's you know pulling out the tv and you pull it off the wall by like an inch and he's like yeah. oh look at this and then when, like to think it's so high scale like well then we can just make room pushing it back and it doesn't move at all it like moves yeah. barely and he thinks it's like the biggest thing in the world do you think it would be would have been better if at some point later on someone pulled it out and then Jim said like whoa 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 it's too crowded in here or do you think that would be too much I think so yeah I think so um but this is one of those okay this sh- this episode too, like you can tell, the care of three weeks worth of writing went into it. Yeah, because there are so many great callbacks and setups through it. Like th- this setup with the TV is really really funny in and of its own right. Yeah, but then it's gonna come back later. And there's multiple times in this episode that they do really good it's like coming it, it back. It is, to but it. it isn't like a Chekhov's gun because they, it does bring your attention to the TV. Yep. But since it does the joke, it, you're, you think, okay, maybe this is the end of it. You're not constantly thinking, oh, something's going to happen to that TV. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, and this is a really good use of the Chekhov's gun idea because Chekhov's mm-hmm. gun doesn't talk about foreshadowing as much as it is about the economy of storyline. And so they do talk about the Dundies here in this scene. They do talk about that plasma TV, which, uh, real quick, it's not a plasma TV. It's a flat screen. <laughs> There's a difference. And the fact that Michael thinks it's a plasma TV just adds to the humor of it. But they do show you those things. And mm-hmm. it's like, they've showed you these and they've made jokes about them. So they might as well use them again because they've already created that in, they've already used that in the economy of the storytelling. So, True, yeah. Um, but then it continues on and shows my, the rest of this room. Like, Michael got this really crappy table that he's built, this side table that's just like sticks of lumber nailed together barely and yeah. and Jim like makes fun of him without him knowing he's like oh Michael I'm just terrible at all this stuff so I think it's really cool that you can do this yeah and uh, he's got the oh well I don't know is this the the Nordic cherry or pine or whatever um but you you still have that dynamic between the two of them especially when it gets to the Dundies and talking about the neon yeah. sign and Jan is like well it had to be one of these and they're laughing like they're best friends and that everything's great, but you can feel that weirdness. Yeah, and then now looking forward, you can tell, like, Holly's going to let Michael be Michael. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a really this is a good time, too, to bring up that point of that you just look at the set decoration of this house. Yeah. And, like, we're going to get to the garage in a little bit where all of Michael's stuff is. Mm-hmm. But the set decoration is, like, it took any warmth out of this house. The way that Jan has put it together. Yeah. It, I think a deleted scene even says something about like how he's trying to help Jan calm her down at a point. And it says, honey, yeah. you made this house like a museum. Yeah. And it's like that really is what they're going for to mm-hmm. feel so cold. The home has become a house instead of the other way around. Yeah. And going back to like the money episode, this you can, you can see all the expensive decorations and stuff would probably went into them having money issues. Yeah. And then the other side of it – we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. But the other side of it too with that is when they're in the garage – there's like a Bowflex in there. There's a oh, yeah. meat uh, dehumidifier or something, whatever. Uh, meat dryer, maybe. But it's like all these like made on TV or made for TV advertisement yeah. infomercial stuff that Michael would order on an impulse 
for no reason yeah. and never used. Well, the Bowflex is a is a, a, a prop from his movie. That's <laughs> right. And hey, he does get it. He does get the use of it. So. Yeah. Because then he because then he came came back later. I think was it was it Holly that wanted him to sell it. It might have been at the garage sale episode. Cause she, she wants him to sell the sign. I know. Yeah, I know the beer sign comes back. Yeah. So that that. We we raise an interesting question because Holly will let Michael be Michael, but she's also you know a grown woman and a mature person who will also be like you know as the age that we're at, we don't need a neon beer sign. Yes. So there's there's a little of the give and take too. Yeah. Because are you are, do you are you literally a bar? No. <laughs> then you might not need a neon beer sign. In that's, my opinion, that's a nice flow chart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now we get Andy and Angela walking in. Angela hidden behind the banister because she, as we said, is pregnant. There's this huge bouquet of flowers that anytime we see Angela, it's right in front of her. Or her purse. Or her purse to protect her. And uh, (laughs) and then Andy takes off this giant coat and he's got on – like three levels of like a turtleneck and a sweater around his neck yeah. and all this sort of stuff. It's the preppy uniform. It is. Okay, this starts the whole runner through another secret runner through the episode called I can't tell if Andy is uncomfortable at any point. Yes, that is a great <laughs> point because the way Ed Helms acts is it really could go either way. Yeah. Because Andy is a yes man, yeah. and Andy is a good actor in being a yes man. Yeah. So he's going along with stuff half the time, like when we see him pitch uh, the uh, investment opportunity. Yeah. But then we also see his face of like, oh, this isn't good. I don't like what's going on right now. Yeah. So, but like, throughout charades, I mean, he's legitimately playing charades. He's not messing with with him like like the way Jim is. <laughs> he's just bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Campbell. We'll, we'll get to it. Well, I think we're about to get there. Ah, uh, yeah. The division of teams in, in that is really well done. But before we get there, we just find out. Oh no! It takes three hours to um, <laughs> make this. What is it? Osoboko? Is that Osobuko? Osoboko. I'm just going to pronounce things wrong this whole episode, so let's all just get used to it right now. So, Jim uh, and Pom uh, are waiting. <laughs> so, they're, they're, they get this revelation three hours long, and they both look at each other. And this is a, the, another start of a great storyline and payoff. I don't know of great story, but the Pam being hungry. Yeah. I just, I love what it builds to and the the joke that we're going to get at dinner mm-hmm. but you have so much compassion like i'm a i don't know if i want to say foodie because that kind of implies like high end food yeah. but i just you know i like to eat yeah. as a human being and so you take away my food for a long period of time i'm going to be upset so yeah. i immediately i'm like i'm team jim and pan a thousand more times percent than i was yeah. 5 minutes ago <clears throat> We were already already on Team Jim and Pam, Jim and Pam but even more so. Like you can, just, you can just imagine being hungry. Yeah. Like I would try to like find some reason to go run an errand, run to the gas station, get a candy bar or something. Yep. Yeah. They. Uh, that's uh, one of the deleted scenes is Pam sneaking a granola bar and then Jan catching her. And uh, poor poor um, Jenna Fisher had to eat like. 10 granola bars worth because the mm. Paul Paul comes up to her and he's like, you know, you got to act like you're actually really starving. Like this is the meal that you've been waiting all day for. And so she had to scarf down that granola yeah. and do it multiple times. So 
She she walked away with a lot of granola in her system. I'm sure she did. All right. So then afterwards, they're all sitting around together, drinking wine. Uh, Steve gives an improvised line about the Oki afterbirth. That was improvised? That was improvised. That was one of the many things in this episode that's like, this is what you remember. Remember, this is the line. There's like a bunch of them. This is one of them. This yeah, and, and it was a. It's a really unusual like, like it's a good joke, but it's like an out of left field joke. Yeah, like even Michael. Okay, the word birth is in there. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to be in there. <laughs> but let's talk about because what happens right after that is listening to a nice song. Brian, let's talk about the Hunter song. You mean Take Me by the Hand? <laughs> That's the one. Um, so this song was not actually sung by Nicholas de Agosto, who played Hunter in the for as big of a deal as Hunter was, the actor was only in I think one episode. I thought I thought it was two. He he might have been in two. I only remember because maybe it was like his voice over the phone. I'm gonna check what IMDb says right Feel now. Feel free. Um, by the way, real quick before we even get there, uh, or while you're checking that, did you know I went to go see the first Avatar movie with Nicholas de Augusto? I did not. Okay, so I wasn't with with him, but we go there, and if you'll notice, um, his hometown is Council Bluffs, Iowa, and that's where I went to see this movie. And I see him walking with a group of friends. I'm like, that's Hunter. That's Hunter from The Office. And right, and I'm getting standing up, and I was gonna go over and just like be like, hey, I know you. Um, which I'm sure he would have loved. Yeah. You know? uh, he, like, the, the lights go down and the movie starts. And so I'm like, I, that's a cool claim to fame for me. I get to talk about how I just. He was in three. Three episodes. Three episodes. So, guys, I know you're all jealous out there. Uh, he didn't take me by the hand, but I felt like a man as I watched Avatar. Okay, uh, then. That was a weird... Yeah. Anyway, so he was not the singer of this song, which I always wondered, but that was confirmed today. It was actually uh, the singer of the band The New Por- uh, the new Pornographers. Huh. So they, they sang that. that. I have two, and I can't remember what the song was that I knew from them apart from this. Um, but they recorded that song, and so Jan's dancing to it, and she's dancing on her own, and everyone's just kind of feeling awkward, um, except for Ed, or except for Andy, who's getting into it, adding his little ah, another yeah. improvised bit. And after a couple takes of doing this dance, Paul pulls Melora aside and says, "Hey, this time try and pull Jim." into it so without anyone else being aware of it as she starts dancing she like grabs jim's hand and she's like twirling around and john krasinski reacts like a champ and just is like nope i'm not joining this and that's i think what captured that awkward feeling of that scene so well he you know he knew to play along in the scene is to not play along because that's what Jim would do. Absolutely. If he got up and danced with that, would be so out of character and not nearly as funny. Yes. Yep. So then uh, after the song gets done, they she goes and sits and they start doing some Pam bashing, which of course Angela joins in on. And yeah. Angela, her small talk is judging people. Yeah. Like, is Angela messing with Pam or is she just oh, being no. herself? She's being herself. Because Angela is so deluded. Like calling Pam the office mattress when she was the one who was engaged to two guys at the same time in the office. And sleeping, or not engaged, sleeping with. Sleeping with, with, well, sleeping with one while engaged to another. That's it, yes. And whereas, okay, Pam was in a serious relationship with Roy and then a serious relationship with Jim. Exactly. At different times. Yes. 100%. And the only overlap is one kiss that Angela doesn't even know about. 
There you go. Where you go. Um, gosh, that that double standard makes me mad. Like the Phyllis line of like, oh, I couldn't see your hands, and both of their hands are on the table, and oh, yeah. like Jim holds up his hands like, oh, they're right here. Yeah. Um. So anyway, they mocking Pam. We cut to that talking head. Yeah. When she's in the bathroom, great line that I love. They're like, I just want to eat, which I realize is a lot to ask for at a dinner party. Which again, you might think they're escaping into the bathroom, saying they need to use the bathroom. But the camera crew's in there. That's That was my thought when yeah. you were talking about the camera crew earlier. So what do what does the rest of the guests think, especially uh, Jan, Jan and Michael? Yeah. I'm going to go to the bathroom, but I'm going to bring this camera guy in here with me, and we'll be fine. Did they, did they mention that in the Office Ladies podcast? They didn't. They talked about this small bathroom because if you look, they're actually in this guest bathroom in a condo. They're absolutely filming in it. Um, there's two... There's the director and the cameraman, yeah. and either Pam or Jim, because they also film a talking head with Jim in here, too. Yeah. And, like, Paul's sitting, like, on the sink, and, yeah. like, just shoved up, and they're in this just tiny little room trying mm-hmm. to get this, and, like, he's like, and, I, and they're both busting out laughing, because they yeah. love these lines. Okay, I'm going to give a, a possible explanation that I know is wrong and doesn't make sense, but here we go. Sounds good. Jim and, or Michael and Jan have a camera set up in their bathroom for also crazy uh, inappropriate reasons. <laughs> oh no. I hate this I hate this theory already. <laughs> Jim and Pam were just talking to themselves and then it ended up recording it and then later on these tapes were donated to the the, the uh... <laughs> they're looking right at the camera. Yeah, they they they're using the camera as like a focal point just to talk not realizing that the the cameras in the bathroom are just always on. I hate your theory. I hate your theory so much for so many reasons. All right, here's another very great iconic scene. Is uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if I use iconic right, but it's memorable. It's the charades scene. Go ahead, Brian. You walk us through it. Well, Andy is doing charades, and he's his thing is Joe Montana. And instead of doing Joe Montana, he somehow mimes Joe Camel, like the Camel. Oh yeah, and cigarettes. Joe Camel. Okay, that's the first name. Second name is the state where. What's the the capital of Montana? Helena. Helena is the capital. And then was it Pam? She's like, why don't you just say 49ers quarterback? Exactly. And that's where like the, the breakdown of teams is actually really, really smart how they did it. Because um, you know, he him being so bad at this game yeah. works with Pam and Jan because they would actually like guess correctly. Yes. Versus Michael being bad in a different way and Angela knowing nothing about pop culture and yeah. Jim just finding some sort of scrap of fun he can have in the evening yes. because he's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Mike uh, Angela says doesn't Angela say something like, Who are these people? I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking? And then uh, Michael is like, my my turn, and Jan like calls him out, like you're being way over the top. And yeah. so then both Jan and Michael are like using Jim as their evidence, like oh Jim was laughing, no Jim's not laughing, and the camera just keeps going to Jim, and he just he looks dead. His face is like, please, I don't so, want to be here. So like I was looking at Jim's face, I was looking at Jim's face. There's not a smile. And Jim was just like. Why is why am I the attention right now? I love his line in his talking head. Michael and Jan seem to be playing their own game uh, called "How Uncomfortable Can I Make My Guests?" and they're both winning. Yeah. So here we have Jim, and then actually Jim making a very non-Jim move. Correct. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, to to be fair, at first it is a Jim move because he he gets this call. 
not really, but he yeah. fakes a call that his apartment's getting flooded and him and Pam have to go and deal with it. So at first, that's yes. okay, that's valid, everyone understands. And mm-hmm. Michael poses the question, well, you don't need both of you. And then Jim does his very uncharacteristically Jim. Like ditching Pam. He's going he's gonna to ditch Pam. You can see he thinks about it for a second. He's like, yeah. he realizes there's no way to get Pam out of here, is there? Yeah. But I can get me out. <laughs> I and I I get it like yeah that's not a good look but at the same time like I it, it this isn't the worst thing Jim has done but at the same time he's like he's hungry he's stressed from this he's uncomfortable and I think knowing how Jim is that and him having faith in and how smart Pam is that like she'd be able to find a way out or that like if he leaves then he yeah. can like call her phone and come up with another plan so I think. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there, but it does create for a really good Pam moment because she's like, no way are you going to do this to me? And she makes him stay with her little chess move here. Yeah. She says, no way you're going to abandon this party. And she know, like he knows she's saying, you're not going to leave me here. Exactly. And the, you can always have a uh, new things. You can't ever buy a new party. Yeah. And just, like, the sarcasm in that voice. There's, like, sarcasm and anger and, yeah. like... And Michael's just like, that's right, that's right, you gotta stay. <laughs> it's great. And then they, they both give each other a great look. I like Pam's like, ha, I won. And Jim's like, yeah, you did win. And it, it, it seems like it's in good fun because it's comedic, but it's, you know... Anyways, we're like halfway through the episode. We still have, haven't had any Dwight outside of the cold open yet. Exactly. So... After that little moment is when Michael's doing the guessing. The Tom Cruise, yeah. uh, which I love. I love his hints. Yeah. Okay, his first name Tom, and he's going on a cruise. Yeah. I don't know. Like Katie Holmes. Oh, but he's married her. <laughs> Dawson's Creek. It's got to be a real person. Exactly. <laughs> Rhymes with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And then that's when Angela says, like, who are these people? She doesn't even know Arnold Schwarzenegger. Exactly. And that is on brand for Angela. Yeah. <laughs> these aren't helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yep, they they fail. And then after that, we do a quick cut and everyone's silent. Yes. All of the, the momentum of the night, if any, is dead. Mm-hmm. And so... As they're sitting there, just waiting for the dinner to get ready, Pam shivers a little bit. Michael sees it, unprompted, walks over, gives her a coat, and Jan just fires daggers yeah. at them both. And then this is we kind of get like the jabbing back and forth between Michael and Jan. This is when Jan decides to tell on Michael that he was chasing after the ice cream truck when he ran through the screen door. Yes. Which is such a Michael thing. I think it's better we don't see that. I think another show, like Family Guy, would have cut back to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Family Guy, hundred percent would have like, yeah. especially those type of shows that are, all their jokes are are cut away humor. Yes, and so you're right. It's good to not see a version of that, but this is like really the first fight that we get because they have like three big fights. Yes, uh, and so this was the first that seems like okay after they get this out, then maybe they'll they'll be good because after she does the joke about him and kind of poking fun, he's like, oh, I love ice cream, so sue me. No, wait, don't sue me because she loves to sue people. Which is called back to the deposition. Exactly. 
Which is tension because he chose Leonard Mifflin over her. Exactly, yeah. There's yeah. there's that play off of that tension, absolutely. And so then they're doing the jokes of like, uh, oh, she's the devil and I'm in hell and that sort of thing. And actually, that was the writer's intention with this show. So this episode, they kind of had the theme and they had their inspiration. Their inspiration was a, a play that was turned into a movie called Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah. And uh, the show is actually almost, this episode is almost called "Who's Afraid of Jan Levison Gould" to yeah. draw that direct parallel. But as they're writing, they're like, "My intention is to showcase how much of a hell Michael's in," and so they really go on the nose with the dialogue here of like, "I'm in hell, she's the devil." Like that is the theme of this episode to show you she is torturing him by just being around. Yeah. So after that, then they go into the kitchen for some girl time. And uh, their big fight. They go in the kitchen. Angela gets stolen. Pam goes in. Angela's like, oh, great. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's not girl time. Is that on her uh, <laughs> Is that on her bingo card for what she wants to do in a day? No, never. This is also getting Angela out of there so that Michael could do what he's about to do with the guys in the garage. Exactly, yeah. Um, oh, real quick, too, just a, the highlight as we're talking about her being the devil. If you notice, like, there's so much red around. You see, like, all the kitchen pots that she's using are red. She's yeah. wearing red right now. It's yeah. a very bright red lipstick. And when she said, I'm the devil, there's, like, the fireplace right behind her. Yeah, there you go. Glad you caught that. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so then they're in the kitchen. They're just discussing. Angela is hidden behind uh, a little ledge that they're like, thank God this condo had it. We thought we were going to have to build this little ledge protruding out to hide the belly mm -hmm. um but they're they're in the kitchen and that's when we hear yeah. jan flat out say oh no you and michael used to be a thing don't like you guys used to date right yeah and pam's just like yeah yeah wait what and so pam tries to get the i have never dated him i don't want to date him yeah. and angela adds in the oh i see the way you look at him but didn't jan know that she was engaged to roy like when would she have been with michael well, I mean, she she was engaged to Roy, but now she's with Jim, so... Yeah, but when's the timeline? Because would she know that she's been with Roy, Roy like, probably since, like, high school days? Well, the you know... The timeline just doesn't add up. Do you think Jan was faithful with uh, Michael? Well, no, I So cheaters that. project that they're gonna... That other people cheat, too. I suppose. Well, I mean, that whole song, whole song was basically just, like... About, about <laughs> Jan and yeah. Yeah. No! What?! I can't. That doesn't. That doesn't. Track. I think I picked up on the very subtle hint. <laughs> of course. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah. So you're right. The next scene, they they pull him into the garage, uh, and it's just the guys. I I love seeing like all of the um, all the Michael stuff, all yeah. of those impulse purchases, multiple hand chairs, multiple hand chairs, which you know they easily could have been the focal piece of his living room. They I would not were. put that past Michael. Oh, absolutely. That's what. And then the bow bowflex would have been instead of a dining room table, he would just have the bowflex in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, they probably would. Yeah. I, uh, Andy has maybe my favorite line of his in this episode when uh, when Michael is doing the pitch of like, uh, just you can get in on this ground floor. Think for, about it. For Thought ten, about it. I'm in yeah, for ten thousand dollars. That just shows like how still stuck in like the trust fund rich parents thing that Andy's at that he doesn't have to think about. He can he can use ten thousand dollars to sign yes. up to his boss. Absolutely. Brian, have you ever had someone who you haven't talked to for a while and they come back into your life like, hey, I just wanted to hang out with you and talk. And then as you're talking to them, like, 
I've got this great opportunity for you. And you're like, oh, so we're just hanging out so you can pitch me on your pyramid scheme? Um, I've had messages on Facebook. Okay. But That's... not in person. I've had, I've had messages on Facebook mainly. I've had like one or two in person that I was just like, great. no, one in person, one over the phone. Yeah. And I'm like... Well, thank you that you care about me this much. <laughs> and, like, it's so uncomfortable to be pitched to when you can't leave. And so I'm sure that's what the writers are going for. It's like, what's another thing that we can do? Oh, yeah. let's have her him pitch them yeah. on investing. So what's the timeline here? So Michael wants to have the dinner party because he wants to have friends. Jan obviously clearly wants to get the money for Jan, for Frenity and Jan. Like, did Jan go to Michael or did Michael go to Jan? Where did this idea come to have like, the divide and conquer there? See, I, I never, when I was watching this episode, I never went into it thinking, like, that was the whole reason was for Jan to do that. But now that we're, like, tr- unpacking this a little bit, mm-hmm. it does seem, like, out of character for Jan to put up with all of these office weirdos, except for Jim. You know, she's yeah. he's the only one that, like, can actually, she would be fine with communicating with yeah and so to have all of these others at their house should have some other purpose and i think that you're right in hitting on that it's probably for that reason yeah i mean they clearly talked about it beforehand because michael even says getting my rich friends which i don't know if we should talk about that later or now um i can talk about it now okay rich friends okay yeah andy (laughs) is you know he's from money he is he yeah that's a good point he's a trust fund baby but, like, Jim and Pam work at Dunder Mifflin. He knows what they make. He's their boss. They're dinks. Double income, no kid. Yeah, but that's, diff- that's just different than having unlimited income. And Dwight is is surprisingly rich for the lifestyle that he has. Yeah. He has a lot of money. Yeah. He's like the Ron Swanson. He doesn't but show it. this wasn't Jan's idea to bring Dwight, too. True. So, was it all just to get Andy's money? <laughs> <laughs> Easily could be, I, I think I think she would probably know that uh, Andy or that Jim and Pam are too smart for that. I don't know. We're we're, gi- we're giving a lot of logic um, benefits of the doubt to a woman who is absolutely insane. So true, and she only gets more insane from here. That's <laughs> true. This is <laughs> she's not yet. She hasn't even reached her final form yet. Oh no! You know, after this se- season. You realize, fun fact, we only see Jan and Roy in odd number of seasons. They show up in season five, seven, and nine. You're blowing my mind right here. <laughs> Never knew that. These are things that I don't, I don't notice and pay attention to. But we do get, finally, Rain Wilson, we get Dwight back in the episode, him showing up with Beth Grant, um, actress Beth Grant. I don't remember what her character's name is in this, but she's her, his former babysitter. And... Current lover. And current lover. I guess we don't learn that yet. But uh, they show up. So this is where, like, I had felt like it was maybe just a little bit off of Michael's uh, characteristic. He does want people to like him, mm-hmm. but he also doesn't like that those any of those people are Dwight. Yeah. And so for him to be so adamant that Dwight would be allowed to stay at this, and even it seems like he kind of planned this too. Like, I know that Dwight came up to him at the office like, oh, it's couples only. But they must have had more communication mm-hmm. because the only problems that Michael had were what Jan told him of the glasses and not enough food. And, and needing a person. Dw- yeah, and Dwight thought ahead of that. 
Yeah. And so I don't think that was coincidence. I think Michael told them these are the problems you need to solve and then you can come. So that doesn't feel like he would have taken Dwight's side over Jan's on that, even if he is miserable with Jan right now. Yeah, I agree completely. All right, but this this next scene, okay. So real quick, this scene has like the best line of this episode, maybe of the whole series. The the when they're having their fight, it's never what I want, and uh, she's like, "Well, it's always what you want. You always get your way." He's like, "Well, when I wanted to see Stomp, we went to see Wicked, and yeah. when I wanted to have kids, you said get a vasectomy, and then when I when you said you wanted kids, and I wasn't so sure, then I got it reversed." And so his <laughs> the yeah. snip snap snip snap line, another iconic line, great line, like that line in and of itself is good, but Steve Carell's delivery of it takes it from being a good line to being just the funniest line ever. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my jaw drop that I found out. Yeah. That is Steve's line that was improvised by him. The the snip snap? Yes. That was his contribution. Because if you pay attention to this scene, this is a full-on fight with very little humor apart from that line. Yeah. And that there's not enough funny in this scene, and I and they were realizing that they're like this is getting a little too much on the uncomfortable side. We need a joke in here. Yeah. And so they told Steve that, and he he came up with this, mm-hmm. and that line ends up being one of the greatest lines in the show. Yeah. Just speaks to the genius of Steve Carell. Not that we needed more proof. Oh yeah. But then that scene ends with the her just throwing her hands up in the air. It's like, fine, you want to have a kid? Let's have a bleeping kid. And then Michael's like, wait, really? And she just walks away. I hate my life. Yeah. And like, that, there are some good things that they deleted because there are some deleted scenes where it's like you see her crying and Michael trying to console her and he's yeah. not good at it, but he's just doing his best. And I'm like, I could see you being more on Jan's side with those scenes left in. So it probably is good that they deleted it. Yeah. But like just a moment like that, you do f- maybe feel a little bad for her, even if she is the culprit in a lot of this pain and misery oh, yeah. between the two of them. Well, and it doesn't, doesn't that scene also end with the button of like Dwight's here? Yeah, and well, with Dwight saying, like, so can we come in? Like, just come, how unaware Dwight is. Yeah. As soon as the fight's done, he's just like, you guys didn't answer that question. And I, I love Pam's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. One of the highlights for her of the night yeah. is when Dwight shows up because she's like, okay, maybe this absurdity, this chaos might be enough to alleviate all the focus and cringe on us. Yeah. I get that. That's great. All right. So after the after the commercial break, we come back, and they are sitting around the table. Now, this is the part that I really, really appreciated of hearing from Angela Kingsley, her point of view, because when they're filming this scene, she's talking about how her daughter, Isabel, who was in her room at the time, was just going nuts, <clears throat> like just moving around, kicking yeah. left and right. She's like, I was actually having a really hard time focusing on this scene. And while they were rolling at a certain point and the cameras weren't on us, I, she's like, I grabbed Ed's hand, and I put his hand on my belly. And he could feel it, and he just lit, like she's like he stopped being Andy for a second, looked over at me, and, like mouthed, "Oh my god!" Because yeah. like that's the kid cool. was, and I'm like, that just like if you're a mom out there, that's props to you because you're able to do amazing things, especially when you have a kid who's like, yeah, I'm just gonna like kick your liver nine times in a <laughs> row inside of you. 
So women don't like when I kick their liver. <laughs> yeah, they don't like that when we do it, but when the kid does it. But yeah, that's a, that's a point of view that you just you don't get from only two guys talking about a show. So I was I really appreciated Angela's uh, weighing in and her personal yeah. story on that. But we see uh, um, Dwight and his babysitter already starting in on their food, eating their beet salad and his turkey leg while everyone else is waiting. And the uncomfortableness of him. So he's clearly there, like, focused on Angela. Because yeah. even when his the babysitter, whatever her name is, uh, pipes up, he's like, hey, hey, hey. And then he goes back to talking to Angela. Like, yeah. you don't care about her at all. There's, no. She's just a body in the yeah. seat for you. Which, okay, is when he says, I've seen you, uh, which he says, the thought of putting one of your beats in my mouth makes me want to vomit. Is that a euphemism? It's, I, it feels like one. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that was the intention. It probably was, but it yeah. really feels like that's a euphemism. Um, the subtext of that. Yeah. So after this is another one of my favorite Pam lines in the show because Michael leans over right before. It's finally time for her to eat. She's been waiting. She's been starving. And you feel all of that pain for her. And then Michael makes a comment like, I hope that Jan didn't poison the food. I can't prove anything, but I think she's been poisoning me. And then the food comes out with no further explanation, no follow-up questions. And so Pam, this great payoff of two different things. Like, this is, again, great writing because we've established her hunger and we've established Jan's distrust of Pam. Yeah. And so for both of them to come together in one line in the talking head, she's like, I know Jan didn't poison the food. I know that. But if she was to poison the food of someone at that table, wouldn't it be me, Michael's former lover? <laughs> yeah. I love that line. <laughs> Favorite Pam line, I think, overall. Yeah. And it causes her not to be able to eat still. And you feel so bad, and it sucks. And so, like, when she does, uh, skipping ahead, when she does get that burger in the episode, you feel so happy for her. Like, good, Pam, you finally got to eat. Yeah. Continues, this is where we kind of get into, like, the build of, like, the third big fight yeah. between Michael and Jan. And, um, how does it, how does it start off again? Is it the beer sign right away? Yeah. Um, so right before the beer sign, the, the, catalyst if you will it seems so small Mm -hmm. because michael is dipping his meat into his wine Mm -hmm. now again just to bring up office ladies because we haven't done that enough this episode yeah when they're talking about this um and uh like pam uh jenna fisher brings up this comment about like how there's a guy that she dated who would like drink milk with everything and like would and so when she starts to go into that then angela like freaked out for a second she's like i thought you were about to say that you dip your food into beverages and not like your meats and i was gonna like freak out on you and i like as i said that i realized how weird that that was of what michael was doing yeah because in my mind i just kind of auto filled i've never drank wine so i don't know that taste but my mind just kind of auto-filled that it was like a more tart i know this isn't true but that it was like a more tart like steak sauce and like the the only reason for that being is that i just figured it was like a weird taste thing that's like because i dip my steak i know that this is blasphemy for some of you steak lovers out there i will dip my steak in steak sauce i like a1 i will consistently order a1 even if you think that just overpowers the taste of the steak so i find nothing wrong with that so when he was dipping into the wine i'm just like oh it's probably something similar enough to that 
But apparently, that's a really weird thing to do. Yeah. So anyway, that's when um, uh, Jan just tells him not to do it. He's like, babe, you know I have soft teeth. And her little line of like, oops, like, oh, what did I do? Just like such a jerk delivery is what causes Michael well, and Michael sign. was dipping him. He, he wasn't making a show about it. He was being pretty subtle about it. He, he could have he just not mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, it's still <laughs> it's still inappropriate for a dinner, I'm sure. Especially that fancy dinner. But, you know, it's, it's whatever. So, you're right. We thought that we had, especially with the big blowout when Dwight got there, we thought that the fighting was done. Because sometimes you just need to have the fight, you get it out, and then you can move past it. Yeah. But <clears throat> clearly not. And Michael just puts up that St. Paulie's girl sign and illuminates the whole room and props to the lighting department to like uh, mm-hmm. be able to balance the right the right uh, yeah balance like, for this. Like Jan's face is purple in this scene. Yeah, seriously. And so like the whole thing, like this just devolves everything. That sh- uh, Jan tries to maybe pull like, oh hey babe. Yeah. The the bad line the the bad name and that hey babe maybe we don't do that here just yeah. tries one more little modicum of civility and it doesn't work no and so then she goes off she turns on Hunter uh she turns yeah. she turns on Hunter's song she already did she, that exactly it's, that's <laughs> a long time ago she turns on the song and she just like closes her eyes as like. It's like she's, like, fantasizing while she's standing there and everyone's eating dinner. It's, like, so gross and yeah. weird. And she's just, it's, like... Mm. It's her version of Skylar White jumping, uh, walking into the pool. Yeah. No, it's her It's her version of Skylar White um, IFD. No, I, I, IFT. Um, I blanked, Ted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. I was like... That's what the episode yeah. was called, IFT. Oh, Which really? stood for... Oh. I blank ten. So yes, it's her. That's that's her sort of thing. So then, of course, Michael starts talking over the music. Oh, I don't think he's that talented. I, you know, yeah. I I wrote a screenplay. Yeah, this is, this is like the lines of this fight. It's like I'm a screenwriter, but you'll hear me bragging about it. No, oh, no. Then she says I'm a candle maker, <laughs> but you don't hear me bragging about it. No, but you see me getting my rich friends to to invest in. in, in for, yeah, for an investment opportunity. Yeah. And, and she he, has that. You burn it, you buy it. I could be your first customer. You're hard to get first. That's what she said. The most angry, that's what she said yes. ever. Michael still can't help himself. <laughs> and so then she goes, grabs the Dundee, destroys his beloved flat screen. Like, the the ramping up of this whole episode with that huge fight. Yeah. And, gosh, I love his line, the, Good luck paying me back on your zero dollars a year plus salary plus benefits, babe. Yeah, he, he kept the babe in there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, of course, the babysitter is the one who is not at all uh, attached to this. Like, you know what? I'm going to go. And yeah. lets and sets everyone free to finally yeah. leave mm-hmm. before the cops show up. Yeah. All right. So so cops show up. Dwight is like, "Oh, I'll handle this." And like, "Not now, Dwight." Yeah. <laughs> he goes of off. Uh, Michael has to then talk with them, and I, I really love the pressing charges line. Mm-hmm. It's like, "Well, oh, will she get in trouble? Well, she'll be charged." Okay, then I did it. I'll take the fall, <laughs> like, I'll take the fall. <laughs> dude. You can just not press charges. <laughs> Yeah. There's some good lines there. And uh, so then, obviously, Michael has to 
the, the cops ask, is there anyone else you can stay? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a good point if you look at Michael that, like, maybe he would have just gone right back inside mm-hmm. until Jan comes back out and he sees her again and is like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't go back in there. Yeah. That's why he had agrees to go home with Dwight. And doesn't Dwight end up charging him? I don't know if he does. I think I think a couple episodes later we have him charged. You took up the America room for two weeks or something. <laughs> I that is that's in line with Dwight for yeah. sure. Um, I really like too the like. Well, who, do you have somewhere you can go? And Dwight throws his hand heartily on the shoulder of the cop for all of yeah. all people. I'll take him. Yeah. <laughs> like that. He's this Michael giant Steve, hero. Yeah. And then he just looks at Jim and Pam like, uh, can can I stay with you guys? Like, no, our apartment's on fire. I mean, I mean, I mean flooded. <laughs> and which, Pam remembers the lie. No, which that's, that, that's a callback, too, because they set that up for them to be able to get out of Michael staying with them. Exactly. It's good. Um, yeah, and then they, they go off. And then we have that little tiny montage at the end. Um, <laughs> with uh, Jim it's, and Pam getting the hamburgers. It's kind of like a, a Scrubs, Zach Braff voiceover, but it's Hunter's song instead. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I, I like the when they're listening to it, it's like, babe, I uh, want you to know I did something bad. He holds up the, the yep. CD that he stole it from him. They're listening to it, and uh, it's like, that one night, and I think Pam goes, one night, yeah. and he's just like, one I love night. that. Yeah. <laughs> they're singing... Angela and Andy are having ice cream, and, and Andy tries to be cute, and she like smears it on his car. So this yeah. is the other funny thing too, um, hearing about it. So apparently, like while they were filming that scene, um, they they had to film it a couple different times, and so yeah. in between each take, that Ed and Angela are just sitting in the car together, and yeah. they have to like wipe down the side because it's got the former ice cream on it. Yeah. Anyway, Ed can't hold one in, and he farts, and it's so <laughs> terrible to Angela's poor pregnant nose, and she has to get out of the car and is like wrenching it, and, and Ed's like, "I'm sorry," <laughs> and everyone, all the cast back there is like, "Well, we know what happened. We can, if she's out of the car, we know what had to happen." <laughs> I, I should have gone back. I, I haven't listened to that podcast in like a couple years. So that's why I don't remember any of this. But yeah. I bet that that was one of their favorite episodes of the podcast to talk about. Because oh, I'm sure, yeah. when the when the episode first came out, um, like NBC first when they had the table read, NBC gave them a call like shortly after. Like, is this really the way you want to do this episode? That they weren't sold on it. They yeah. thought it was a little bit too far. And so, but this is their fourth season. They're a hit show. They've won mm. awards. So at that point, they're able to be like, no, this is this is going to work. Yeah. And NBC was able to trust them. And so they let them go ahead. And then the episode aired. And there was such a divided fan base because it is uncomfortable in ways yeah. the first time you see it. But then when you know what to expect, you can go back into it and you can enjoy it more for what it is. Mm-hmm. So I think the way that we should end this episode, too, is to real quick highlight the cringe of this versus the cringe of Scott's Tots. And I want to ask you, why does this episode work and Scott's Tots, in a lot of people's opinions, doesn't? I think it's because the victims of here are characters who either don't get it that bad. Like Jim and Pam have one awkward night. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad. you know. Or like Jan and Michael, they kind of deserve it. They're kind of all being terrible. Whereas Scott's Tots, the victims are like these innocent high school or teenagers who don't deserve what, what's coming to them. That 
was really succinct and I 100% agree would have never thought I, I don't think I would have thought to have those words and put that to, to words because I think you're absolutely right about the victims because the other thing I didn't like about Scott's Tots and I realize actually Dinner Party has the same thing is that the B storyline of Scott's Tots is the whole employee of the month fiasco that is like against Jim and so Jim again suffers so there's not really like in that episode there's not really a lightning moment mm-hmm. um, whereas I, I thought Dinner Party had that and I was like wait no Dinner Party is is the same thing whereas Dinner Party is kind of like a slow build so I think that's the other thing that makes Dinner Party better than Scott's Tots is because there's the build up yeah. and the release where it's like with Scott's Tots you know the stakes right away and it's just kind of like you're dreading those stakes. It's kind of like going up a, a roller coaster that first hill, and you're like, he's gonna, he's gonna eventually have to tell him. I'm so uncomfortable. When are you gonna tell him? When are you gonna tell him? And you know it's coming. Whereas dinner party, sure you know it's coming, but it's kind of funny how it unfolds yeah. and the the ridiculousness of it getting bigger and bigger and more and more absurd. Oh yeah, I think that's the other part of it too is that because these characters are so absurd in dinner party. And sure, that's an absurd premise in Scott's Tots, but we've actually, like, it's been inspired by, like, Warren Buffett or other very big businessmen who have said those sorts of promises or have made that charitable contribution. And for someone to do that and then not be able to follow through on it, like, that is realistic, even if that probably is never going to happen. Yeah. So that is Dinner Party. That is a great episode. Again, the, go back and watch it if you, you hadn't done that before this. Yeah. I probably should have said this at the beginning of the episode, that this is one of those episodes that even if you're not an Office fan, you can come into this episode and maybe have like a 30-second crash course of some of the dynamics of characters. Someone mm-hmm. tell you those dynamics ahead of time. But overall, you can come into this dry versus like the Breaking Bad episode we did where you, you can't really go into that and really appreciate it for what it yeah. is. Also, if you ever think you're overpaid in your job, just remember, like, Mindy Kaling and Paul Lieberstein, <laughs> Oscar Nunez, Brian Baumgartner. Yeah, they all got paid for this episode. Uh, yes, absolutely. Well, I think that should do it, and I think we should probably jump into trivia. What do you say? All right, last week we talked about, about divas, and one of the divas we talked about was Miss Piggy. And I said, who... Did Miss uh, Frank Oz share the performing duties of Miss Piggy with in the first season of the Muppet Show, before he, he she became his full time character, and it was performer Richard Hunt. So in the first season, if it's uh, if it's Miss Piggy but does not sound like Miss Piggy, that's because it's it's Richard Hunt. Hey, um, I was just talking with Angie the other day. We were talking about Christmas movies that lived in our brains that we saw like a long time ago in the 90s and then like made-for-TV type movies. Yeah. Do you remember a Jim Henson made-for-TV movie from the 90s with um, some of these like – like Richard Hunt was one of the performers in it, but it was like this evil toy. I think it was the toy that saved Christmas or something like that. The Christmas toy? Maybe that's what it is. The Christmas toy? I think so. Do you remember that? Yeah. I remember the title of it. I I watched that as a kid, and I like every now and then a scene from that, especially the villain of the that movie, um, will pop into my brain, and I'm like, what was that movie? And I kind of want to rewatch it. Um, wait a minute, if it was the '90s, it couldn't have been Richard Hunt or Jim Henson because they both died in the early '90s. It, Richard Hunt was one of the performers in it, and Jim Henson was one of the performers in it. But it would I would have seen it like early '90s as a oh, kid. Oh, wait a minute. Are you possibly thinking was it was Santa Claus in it? Um, I think Kermit like, like, as Santa. Kermit as Santa. Like Kermit, Kermit is in it. Okay, then it's not 
the Great Santa Claus switch. No. You'll have to look it up. All right. right. The Christmas Toy, 1986, oh. which would have been correct for Jim Henson and Richard Hunt. Yep, that's what it was. It's 86, not 90. For some reason, I was thinking it was the 90s. Yeah, I watched that as a kid, and I think the the last time I saw it was when I was like four. Okay. So it's like some memory shoved in the back of my brain, and I kind of want to rewatch it and see yeah. what it was like. Because if I recall correctly, it was kind of like Toy Story before Toy Story. I think so. I've heard of this. I haven't seen it. I actually haven't seen it, but I know of it. Because it's like not Muppet, but it's Muppet adjacent. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's in the Muppet neighborhood. Yes. Or the Muppet retirement community. All right. Um, so this week, our, our trivia is going to be... Um, so BJ Novak, who plays Ryan in this show and is one of the writers, he uh, was at a party and a famous politician came up to him and uh, BJ Novak asked him, what's your favorite scene in The Office? Because this politician said, I love The Office. And they said it was the scene in the bedroom of this show, of this episode, when, like, they see the camera and Michael lays down. That is his favorite, or this politician's favorite. Uh, okay, you found out it's a guy. That was this politician's favorite episode of the, or favorite moment in the entire series. So what politician was he talking to at this party who loved the bedroom scene of this episode? Yeah. All right. I have no idea. I don't remember. That's a, it's it's an obscure. This is one of those that like I don't. You don't ask this trivia question thinking that people are going to answer it. You ask this trivia question for people to be like, oh, that's an interesting tidbit. I'll have to listen to next week's episode to find out who that politician was. If they care. If they care. You're like uh, politics are stupid. Yeah. Which you're not wrong. So until next time, I'm Matt. I'm Brian, and we're reminding you to stay tuned and keep watching. <laughs>